Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Will Gould of Creeper and we have a wonderful chat and uh and you're really going to enjoy this. We um, we speak about all the songs that have been really important in Will's creative journey, and we talk about you know the punk scene, and we talk about the metal scene, and we talk about we, we talk about so much stuff. We talk about creativity in music, and and that visual aesthetic in music, and it's it's, it's a really good chat, and you're going to um, you're going to enjoy it. And before before we get on in that chat, I just want to say um, thank you to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, also, I want to say a huge thanks to Seventy Six for producing this podcast. Um, and also, if this is your first time listening to um, Off the Beaten Track, then please go and have a look in the archives. Um, we mention uh, Dan P. Carter in this podcast. Um, if you go and search the archives, you can uh, hear a great episode with um, with Dan P. Carter. Um, you can also hear episodes with Dan, Dan Carter's former bandmates in the Bloodhound Gang and A, Adam Perry um, and Jason Perry. And, and there's, there's about 150 episodes with all your favourite musicians, producers, DJs, actors, comedians. Go and have a rummage and you'll find something that you like. Um, but back to business. Please enjoy today's episode with the wonderful Will Gould of Creeper. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing, www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over 
to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. And joining me today via the means of Zoom is Will Gould of Creeper. Hello. Hello, Stu. How are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, it's, uh, again, it's another day waking up without having a haircut, which is a bit problematic for me, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm desperate to get out to a barber. Have you managed to do that yet? Have you managed to I get have. Out to a- I have. Um, I, 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 yeah, I've managed to get um, a, a hairdresser that come round um, and sat in the garden and done my wife's hair. And, uh, and I was like, do you do like guy's hair as well? <laughs> And he was like, yes, of course I do. I, mean, I was like, oh, I just wanted to ask. And so, yeah, I managed to get a haircut. But up until then, um, my daughter had been sort of hacking away and, and done, a, done an half-decent job, you know, of what's left on, on the top of my head. But, um, but yeah, I did drive past queues um, to the barbers the other day, and they were huge. It looks mad. I think that's one of the things. I know it's such a ridiculous, like the vanity thing, uh, a vain thing to say. But that's one of the main things I've missed. Just I just feel so unpleasant every time my hair grows out over my ears and stuff. And so my girlfriend's been doing the same thing, just hacking the sides off. With uh, we bought like a, a pair of clippers off eBay. She's been doing the sides, but she won't touch the top. But when my hair is so thick, it just kind of mushrooms out at the top. It looks awful every single day, you know. And it's, it, the good thing is that's the one good thing about uh, being in lockdown and promoting an album is uh, I haven't had to have my picture taken too much because we, we can't get together with a photographer. So uh, I feel like it would be a nightmare if I, could, if I was photographed right now. My hair is just disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, before we get on to uh, the, the songs that you've picked, Will, um, how, how have you found, you know, ha- hair aside, how have you found um, like lockdown as, 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 as both a, a, a human being and as a creative? I, I, the thing is about it, uh, to be honest with you, is like I've, I'm we're from punk rock, and so like the idea of kind of making something with limited resources is pretty. It's pretty. It's the, the way we started in the first place, you know. Innie and Shed writing um, writing songs at his mum's house, you know. We're used to, to 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 making something out of nothing. So the idea of making content at this time, it's kind of been more of a fun challenge than anything else as, as a creative. I haven't found that too too bad. Like I've. Uh, I've kind of enjoyed the challenge of it all a little. On a personal level, it's, it's, you know, like I have days when everything's absolutely fine. I have those days, and I'm sure you do as well, where you wake up and you're just like, what, what am I doing? Like, this is so frustrating. I just want to be outside. Why aren't we on tour? Why aren't we doing this? But I try to keep in mind um, the fact that this really, I, 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 as far as who this affects the most, I'm pretty far down the list. <laughs> so, sure. Um, yeah, I, I, try, I try to keep the focus of that, and that kind of grounds me a little bit. And I've been very lucky to be to be locked in with my girlfriend a lot of this time. And I know people with partners who they were just haven't didn't see for three months, you know. So, yeah. unfortunate. Okay, well, let's kick things off. Track one, Will, the song with the greatest ever intro. So I've gone for "Modern Love," um, David Bowie. Um, 
And I think it's, I, I was thinking about this um, and I feel like I've got a good choice with this one. I feel like I've done a good job. <laughs> you know, I was like, I had a few different choices and I was like, well, I think when that comes on, you know, when you're, 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 you're out on the piss and that comes on in a, in a nightclub, the whole room just knows what's coming. It's the anticipation, the build, the build, the build, the build. And when it pops in to, you know, when it goes into that pocket straight after that, it's just amazing. And, and it reminds me of a few different things. It reminds me of being, uh, of, of being out, but it also reminds me of, um, of being like at a, uh, Oh, a wedding with my dad. It's, you know, this wedding sucks. Like oh, it's a real wedding classic. Of course oh, it is. But it's, it's, it's the B-52's Love Shack. It's, it's all of those songs that I can imagine my dad in my head. I know exactly how he danced to it. He, he dances the same to every single song. And um, uh, yeah, like, that's the, the song that gets everyone moving. And I think it, as soon as you hear the, that, uh, that kind of, um, the, the kind of male, all-male choir, it's kind of a barbershoppy part, like over the top of that, the build, the build to that. It's just the, the anticipation of the drop coming in. Just amazing. That's such a, such a great job. We just did our homage to it on this record. We just did it on a song called uh, Thorns of Love, um, where I had Hannah layer up loads of vocals in a similar manner to pop into um, this kind of doo wop thing we were doing. But it's just amazing. It's taking like a classic trope, isn't it? And, and, and reimagining it for, for pop music. Uh, that's, what they, that's what Bowie was doing there. And it's so cool. Like, what a great intro. I mean, this question I'm really interested to ask you, um, Will, is because I, I ask all musicians this, and, and, and generally... Um, uh, a lot of the guests that I've had on here, um, uh, I, I would say, are, are, are clearly older than you, uh, and so you've very much grown up in a in, in a generation that has has been, you know, music has been driven by things like MySpace and the evolution of Spotify and, and, and things like that. So what I want to ask you is, um, which I ask all musicians, is when you approach songwriting and predominantly the intro how much has that changed over the time your band's been going and what are the considerations now when you're creating an intro in regards to the way that people listen to music now it's a very loaded question bear with me um how how people listen to music now in regards to you know are you writing with radio as a consideration and with spotify you know there's so many things that distract you from the song you're listening to. Like you might like this, you might like this. Are you aware? Is it a consideration that you should hook them quickly? I think like, that's like a, <clears throat> like a very pop music thing um, to do yeah. like that. Uh, and when my band started out, uh, we were uh, the punk band, you know? Um, so we, we, we wouldn't have paid any attention to that at all uh, for the first few years. But uh that's because we were just trying to, we, we were learning how to write songs still. Um, I think now I absolutely think about every part of the song. We speak about um, when we're playing about serving the song instrument, a lot of instruments and, and not overplaying on guitar, not overplaying on drums, et cetera, et cetera. But also like the structure of it as a song. Me and Ian used to do this thing. We used to call this song snake. And um, it was a series of post-it notes you put up. And so it, it meant that like you could change around the structure of a song like really, really quickly. So you have intro, verse, you know, the, the, the classic uh, structure, but uh, intro, verse, chorus, you know, bridge, whatever, intro, verse, chorus, first chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus, ends, you know. Um, uh, but you can move it, move it around all the time. But intro is, uh, is one of the things that I've always think, I think as time's gone on, it's become more and more important to me. Not necessarily to hook them quick, uh, although that does, does play a part in some of us, our more recent material. Um, but on our last record, our record opened, um, the intro to the, the actual whole album, and the, the intro to the, the, the first song, Black Rain, 
was a spoken word piece over the top of um, uh, some, some, uh, some piano and some organ and some uh, a choir in the background. And I think like setting the tone and, and preparing people, preparing the listener for what's about to come, like, like conditioning the listener for what's about to come in the song. The intro is a very, very important part of that. Um, in terms of like pop music and stuff, the song Cyanide we just done, it starts with, um, with the hook uh, on, on, the, on the piano. And the idea is that you repeat something enough times, you know, during, over the course of a song, that, that's like an earworm that gets caught in your head. And I, even when I was writing, it was driving me crazy. I've heard it so many times now. Um, uh, but but, but I, love, I love the idea of that. I love the idea of hooking them like that. But I think, um, I think that you're very right in, in um, like, I, I guess, some of the points you're making, like, in the question. Um, people, you, have, you basically have a few seconds to hook someone's attention now. We have the shortest attention span for music than I can remember. Um, when I was a kid, we were still going to HMV on the day a record came out, buying it and consuming it on my, my disc moon on the way home on the bus, you know. Um, long gone are those days. Um, we don't even have a HMV in, in Southampton anymore. And um, is, it, we, there are any record stores here. It's, it's crazy. No, I don't know where you buy a CD on the high street here. Um, so it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Like you kind of have to get to get, get in quick because there's more music than ever. People can make music, good sounding records and productions at home. And, and you can put something on the internet. Um, so if, if people are going to give you a try, they, they're spoiled for choice. So they're not often they don't give you very long at all. It's, it's, it's really interesting you ask that. One of the other things is, like, there's a producer in America I met, John Feldman. When we would play him songs, he'd only listen up to the chorus, and then he'd be switched song, like, all the time. That's how he'd kind of identify with the demos and things. Wouldn't listen further. thought that's interesting. Really? Yeah. So, you know, with that kind of listen to a bit of that, listen to a bit of that. And, and the fact that now so many people um, would just go on iTunes and cherry pick, you know, the, a couple of singles rather than buy the album. When you've put this album together, do you still have a traditional approach to putting a, a record together that it is a body of work, it's a piece of art as, you know, in regards to, you know, the track listing, you know, you know is it something that you're, you're, you know, that you're keen to sort of, present your your album as, as a body of work i think like to be honest with you like i'm a really unlikely mu- musician like I, I i wanted to make films um I, I always wanted to make movies when i was a kid so and the records that really i loved when i was a kid like my favorite albums that you can probably guess them like if you know anything about like uh, the stuff i grew up on ziggy stardust and the spiders from mars obviously was a massive record for me and those felt like kingdoms you know um when you listen to them and, and so the way things are structured and narrative and, and, and pacing of a record and uh, that stuff to me is it, like, that's, I hold that above every, almost everything else. Um, sometimes I have to be to- told to make something more, more, more suitable for a radio thing um, because I just, I, it's just not the way I grew up digesting music. Um, when I first got into music, I inherited my dad's record collection. Um, and so would listen to vinyl, like the same way my dad did. I, I was digesting music the same way my parents did back when they were kids um and the idea of listening to the whole thing and then sw- turning the record over and listening to the other side and the ceremony of that and 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 uh, and uh, like that that feeling is, is still in me to this day i i i struggled to um with the, the high rate of p- p- releases people are doing people are just throwing out music to be relevant and i know that's an important thing i know i probably should adapt to that a little bit more but i struggle with it i, I feel like i feel like even when i was a kid i was i had an, I had an old school approach but now in, in my 30s I still, uh, I, feel like I think it's even more dated in a way. Like I, I just, I want to take a, a year out to make a record. I want, I want to be able to reimagine and, and, and redesign everything. And so, yeah, I, I, I think um, I much, I much more see it in like a long, a long form rather than 
a short single. I, I struggle with singles. Okay, well, you know, you're talking about sort of parents' record collections and, and, and things like that, leads us on nicely to track two. Um, well, what was the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you? It's difficult for me because I, I had a few different um, I had a few different answers for this one. Um, like so, it's, like it was, it's like one of those questions where like I don't know. It's like like I, I didn't know whether to answer answer it whether like with the first song that I found for me um, that had an emotional you, you impact can, on you me. You can have some honourable mentions. You can throw a few in. Okay, so uh, there's, there, there's a few I think um, for me. I'm gonna go first. I'm gonna say Roxy music more than this. I think. Uh, that song, like, is it, it's a pop song, but it's it's what a sad song that is. Like, what a truly like devastating song that is, and it's actually heightens as I got older when you see that scene in Lost in Translation, um, you know, where Bill Murray sings sings it on karaoke, and I remember thinking because my dad was the biggest Roxy Music fan, we actually did a Roxy Music cover when we first started, uh, Made of Ale, um, because of my because for my dad, you know, like, uh, and I just grew up with all that stuff. He, he's been to see Brian Ferry loads of times, and. Um, yeah, so, so for me, uh, that, that song, like, like, I remember just thinking how incredible the lyrics were and the composition, like, it's, and the way that Brian sings is so outrageous. There's that incredible Bob Dylan covers record he did, um, Dylan-esque, and, uh, like, just the, the, look at the timbre of his voice from that, like, it's just crazy. Like, uh, how do you get that sound out of a human? It's, it's mad, the control. Um, so yeah, that's that one. I I, I think I've um, I think my original one was, was AFI, um, the, the punk band, and, and I, I would have gone for Morning Star um, when I was doing that because that was the first band that I found. That was a band that wasn't handed to me. I got into rock and metal when I was a kid uh, because my, my my older cousin gave it to me. You know, they, they gave me their records. My my the very the the very starting point for music was given to me by my father. Um, but then the, getting into alternative music was given to me by my older cousin. And when I found AFI, that was my first discovery. You know, that was just purely me. That was my band. You know, I'm sure you have those bands as well. Um, and that song is the, at the end of The Art of Drowning, um, and, uh, which is an incredible punk rock record. It's uh, really seminal, I think, that when they really perfected that sound. Um, right on the end, a ballad. Um, and uh, weird to have a, like a, a, punk, a fast punk band. But I got into because they sounded like the Offspring at first. Um, yeah, and and you can't imagine them like the Offspring doing doing Morning Star. It's such a beautifully written song, and um, and Davey does this kind of he's he, he's he went really really Danzig back in kind of like um, on All Hallows EP and and uh, into uh, into Black Cells in the Sunset. Um, but that that song in particular, he's he's, he's started to develop a real range um, with his voice. It was uh, really really powerful. He can sing really high, but it's really controlled. And the, the amazing placement about that as well is like after a record that's like as over the top and it's and, and it at such a blisteringly fast pace as that album does, you have this kind of a spite at the end, which I've always loved. I've, I feel I've been a sucker for it ever since Rock and Roll Suicide, you know, um, and just that grand ballad, the, the climax, the crescendo of the whole thing. And he's he's singing he's singing in such a reserved way, like like through his teeth almost at the beginning. After hearing him yell for yeah. <laughs> forty minutes, and I just yeah, I always remember that. I remember making like weird little art films um, when I was a kid and using that as a soundtrack for them. You know, just people walking through the woods and stuff in black and white on my mum's handy cam. <laughs> so, well, what was the? What was? I'm curious to know what the emotion would have been that you felt. So, um, at, with with Morningstar, I think um, I probably the thing about David Havoc's lyrics is it's very interpretive, um, especially around that period of time where he was like 
writing with uh, an incredible lyricist. He was writing really art- articulately and using words. I had to use a dictionary to, to look up. So for me, I think at the time I'd moved to schools um, and I'd, uh, I moved to Southampton and I had I didn't have very many friends to truth be told. And I think that's, you know, something that's kind of really a, a bit of really formative period of time because of that. I, I, I kind of made friends with records and with music instead. And as so many of us do. And um, I remember being very sad and very lonely at the time. Like it was, I was, I was living at, um, it, with my brother, my mum worked like crazy hours and to, to support us. Um, she worked for the NHS and she'd be out and working in London and, um, just coming home super late. And, um, so I didn't have that many people around and especially like, uh, I think it kind of, um, it, it kind of, so- it was a really soothing piece of kind of something gentle and soft when I was probably quite angry as well. And so like a lot of the music I was listening to was very uh, dramatic and angry, but it was like the first time um, I would sit on the, the school bus on the way to school and listen to that. And when it get to that part, it kind of allowed me to be sad. It was like, the only, the only sad music I would really listen to at that time. You got to remember, this is the time where everyone was listening to Limp Bizkit, you know, like, uh, um, and uh, new metal, that all that stuff was going on. So like there, there was kind of, um, there was male fragility in uh, in some of that music, but it wasn't anywhere near on the scale of what was going on with this AFI song. It was um, it was really really speaking to me. Um, and you know uh, the, the 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 refrain is um, "Am I you're anything?" You know, "Am I the star? Um, am I the star beneath the stairs? Am I the ghost upon the stage? Am I you're anything?" And I mean, it just speaks to every single teenager ever, doesn't it? You know, this is the classic stuff, the classic tropes of these uh, of this genre. Um, but it was just really beautifully written, really articulate. Um, and performed by a man um, who was effeminate, and I was an effeminate little weird art kid. And uh, so this was like, and for, when I didn't have many friends, and I, and, I, and I felt so sad quite a lot of the time, this was like a, a place I could go and a place that existed for me inside a record. And when you realize that there, there are, are these worlds inside these albums, that's when you really start loving music, and that's when you fall in love with this. And that's the problem. This is why I can't stop doing this. <laughs> it's wrecked my whole life, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm still here doing it because of that reason, I think. Well, let's stay here um, for for because track three. I'm going to ask you the song that reminds you of your time at school. Yes, uh, so I picked for this one um, Armageddon by Alkaline Trio, which is like the, the other half of um, of the AFI puzzle, isn't it? Um, yeah, you know, this all this stuff happened at, at a very similar time. Um, they were the two. They were the two bands that, like, any band... Like, I met my first girlfriend going to the Joiner's Arms to go to a gig. I used to sneak out my mum's house and get on the train and go into town and go to gigs at the Joiner's. And I remember uh, my first girlfriend seeing her in Subway on East Street here in Southampton. And she was, at the time, she was wearing an Alkaline Trio hoodie with the big pair of scissors at the side, the zip-up one. <clears throat> and instantly I was like, Oh God, she's amazing. Who's that girl? And then, and then we ended up being together for like almost a decade that me and that girl, and we're still like best mates now. Like, it's funny. I made all my friends around this time going out, getting drunk, you know, like the shit you do when you're a kid, like kind of sat in a park drinking vodka straight. Like I'd never do that now, you know, like, yeah, why wouldn't do that? Drinking frosty jacks at the bottle down by the park, you know, getting in a fight with some kids from, from down the road, or like that sort of thing. But this, this band was my whole soundtrack to that part of my life. Um, and like every teen romance, every like late night out, every car trip to see bands, this is one of those records. Good Morning, the um, the Apple and Trio album, is uh, is I just hear my youth in that record. It's so funny because you had AFI that were like this this goth punk band. You had, you had Apple and Trio, this goth punk band, but the two didn't really mix much more than the fact that you'd call them a goth punk band. They were they wore yeah. makeup, 
like they're from two different spe- different spectrums of of, of punk. Yeah, so Avalon Trio come from the hot water music, uh, like uh, kind of the, the Lawrence Arms, the kind of more kind of get drunk and do drugs, uh, like uh, that sort of culture. Meanwhile, you've got Davey having an AFI from the hardcore scene, straight edge people who don't do any of that stuff. And uh, they're, they're, they're very different types of music, different paces. But this one, I picked this one in particular because it's the only song, um, this, uh, this song is from, uh, this is uh, um, from, from Here to Infirmary. And it's the only song on the record with uh, a double time beat at the end. And so we loved it. We were waiting, we were waiting for this song. And uh, Derek, the drummer from Alkaline Trio, is one of the best drummers you'll ever see. He's absolutely outrageous. I remember going to see Alkaline Trio um, in Exeter once, and I got, I got to work the show. And my, my friend was like, oh, we're putting it on Alkaline Trio. Do you want to come load some, some gear? I was like, yes, I do. And I watched them on the side of the stage, and I watched um, Skiba turn around, and he had, he had a, a, a roadie just filling up little glasses of uh, – uh, little shots of, of whiskey for him. And he'd, he'd go over to him. I was standing next to him. He'd, and he'd go over to him and lick his lips like that. So, so the guy needed to fill it up again. And what that meant was every time he was doing that, the band, the band had to be carried. And the drummer just carried them through this like, like it was nothing. So he stopped playing guitar, did a shot of whiskey. And I was just like, wow, like no matter what happens up front with the two, the two amazing front men, these amazing musicians, it, it, like Matt's obviously get, having one of the nights the drummers keeping this all together and you kind of realize the value in the rhythm section and, and how like the, how important and prominent that, that uh, a good bass player and a good drummer are. Yeah. That's the foundation of the entire bands and a bit amazing. Yeah. Late nights driving around, uh, hanging out, going to Alcantara, bunking off college to go and watch them at the Guildhall. Um, and, uh, yeah, just amazing. I, I, I it's funny actually. Um, I met Skiba like years later and um, he was really nice to me. Um, I, I met him when I was a kid, you know, getting your autograph and all that. And um, I met him like at the, at the Karang Awards and, uh, and um, he came up to, I came up to him and I introduced myself and everything. And he said, Oh yeah. Like I've heard about you guys. Isn't, then your band sound a bit like Alkaline Trio and Meatloaf. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's kind of, you got it in a nutshell there, mate. That's kind of what we sound like. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how was, School. Did you enjoy it? No, I hate school. Everyone says it's the best years of your life, and it's just rubbish nonsense. Um, I also don't. I'm not, I realise um, that I'm not very good at being taught things, um, and I know that sounds like a horribly horrible thing. I'm the eldest child, so of course, you know, you can't tell me anything, um, and that's that's my own my own problem. But I don't learn very well that way. I'm not very good at being like taught things when I'm interested in something. I can zero in on it and, and, and extract so much information and spend and concentrate so firmly. Well, when I read, this when I'm reading, resonates so much. Oh, I've, really? I've, I've, I've interviewed about 150 people on this podcast, and they're all creatives, and so many of them have echoed exactly what. Oh, you're that saying. makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> you're not alone. You're not alone, mate. <laughs> it's um, it's a funny thing. I'm like, I'm really glad you said that. Like, sometimes I worry about it. I'm like, you know, um, it's uh, just. Like my girlfriend says to me all the time, you go you go through these phases, Will. You get into something for like intensely for for a month, and and, and you want to want to talk about that to me every single day. And then the next month, you're not you're never going to speak about that ever again. You're going to move on to one other thing, and that's going to be your thing for the entire. And that's kind of how things go, like with me. Um, but I but I struggle. I've always struggled with um with, with learning like that. I often wonder if um we're at, a, at the right age to be learning and getting up early. And uh, at, at that point in time, like, I think like my brain's, I know it's, you know, it shouldn't be that way, but I think I get, I'm more susceptible to, uh, to, to and want to learn about science and things now than I did in school. 
I just wanted to play with wrestling toys, you know, like yeah. that's, like, you know, I wanted to make up storylines, my wrestlers and I wanted to watch movies. I didn't want to be there, like, you know, learning what the mean, medium and mode is, you know, <laughs> like, what, what? Yeah. that's never helped me. Like, uh, so yeah, I didn't like, I, I didn't have um, many friends. Uh, I uh, spent a lot of time listening to music and, and making art, little arty films. And I was like, oh, is this sure? I was going to go into film. That's what, that's where that what I really wanted saw to myself. Do? You wanted to be a film. Yeah. Writer. Yeah, I didn't want to be a singer. Like, uh, I love watching bands, but I was never. I had a big. I, I got beaten up really bad one time um, in Emsworth, uh, um, in Portsmouth, and uh, it, I developed like a real stutter. And I still speak really fast now, but it's taken years to get to get rid of it. Um, so, like, the idea of getting on stage and speaking to to a, cra- a crowd of people would just seem impossible to me. I, I was much more comfortable being behind the scenes and and, and being a creative, working on something than being at the front of something, which is so weird to, tell, to, to, to say. But um, Did you not but, yeah, like attention just, then as a young man? Oh, yeah, I loved attention. But, like, and I acted out and I was a nightmare. But, like, not like a, a, not to perform, you know, like, that wasn't really... Um, I was like a, a, somebody made things a lot. And yeah. um, it, like, I just didn't see myself doing doing that. I, I loved it. Like, and I, and I idolised singers. I loved the idea of, of, um, of the front men. But I, w- I never had singing lessons, you know. I never, I, I didn't learn music. I didn't go to, to music school. Um, I just literally fell into doing this because I love punk so much. And um, it's a really weird story about how I ended up doing this. Um, I, uh, I was a promoter, um, and I was basically putting little DIY gigs when I was in, in, in the punk scene in Southampton. And um, the, one of the bands called up one day and said, "Like to my mum's house, back when landlines were a thing." And uh, I picked up the phone and they were like, oh, it was, it was Chris from a band called Our Time Down Here. And he said, Will, our singers, we've kicked our singer out. I said, oh, shit, you're not going to be able to play the gig then? And he goes, oh, no, I know that you've, you've played in some things over the years with school bits. Would you do it? And I was like, oh, God, it seems quite narcissistic to put on a gig and then play the gig, you know? <laughs> but um, I ended up doing it. And I was just, because all my mates, anyway, we always swapped members from different bands over the years, um, did it at the firehouse in Southampton here, a metal pub down here. And, um, and they were like, Oh, that was all right. Wasn't it? Just, just do it some more. And so it did. And that was seven years gone, <laughs> seven years of working at one stop and Domino's pizza and selling love film in the street to support this weird little band. We did. I had no direction. It wasn't, we were never trying to get signed. It was never, never anything like that. We just made things. And, uh, and then I ended up just being the singer from this band. And, uh, then like we stopped doing it because it was it was it, I was still in my dad's house and it was kind of a bit unfair on everybody. Tried to have a real job for a bit, hated that. You know, real jobs are rubbish. They are, like, I just yeah, can't, they're well do overrated, it. mate. They are, they really are. Like and um, you know, I preferred like I tried to get like a, like a call center job. You know, like business professional um, and, uh, and and not work at, not work hustling things on the street that paintball paintball trials and things that I used to be doing. Um, charity stuff and all that this nonsense I did for years and years um, uh, anyway I hated that called up Ian and said I don't want to tour ever again um, we were about 24 at the time and I, I said but I don't want to do this I don't want to tour ever again because it, it financially destroyed us and it was a nightmare and everyone involved <laughs> um, but like can we do a band for the weekends Ricky's going to put a ba- an American band will come through they'll, they'll let us open up for, a, for one of those bands and then we did it and that was the band that got signed, and then I was forced back into it again. It's pulled me back in. So, uh, so yeah, you only play weekends, though, right? Oh yeah, exactly. You can only put me at the weekends. In fact, you can put me any time at the moment. I'm doing nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? 
Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up and get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Track four, what was the first record you remember buying? Well, it wasn't a record, was it? It would have been a CD. It was a CD, and I know exactly what it was. It was uh, Mechanical Animals and Marilyn Manson. Um, it was uh, my cousin had got me into Marilyn Manson. He was like well into new metal. We went, we went to a Catholic school, and uh, he, he schooled uh, I'm not a slave to a God that doesn't exist on his, on his backpack in, in Tipex and wore it to school. I remember it being like an uproar. Um, uh, the Marilyn Manson lyrics. Marilyn That's Manson pretty fucking punk at a Catholic school. <laughs> yeah, sick, isn't it? I remember thinking he was a badass. I was never that daring. I could never have done that. Um, he was he was really cool. I looked up to him a lot. He got me into a lot of music. Um, he was very, really arty, very quiet, a lot quieter than me. Um, as you can tell, I talk a lot, and it's uh, it's a nightmare. Everyone wants me to shut up all the time. Um, but yeah, he was uh, like a lovely, a lovely, lovely bloke, um, Adam, my older cousin. And I just I saw Marilyn Manson, and I saw David Bowie. I was that's what I saw, and I saw that album cover. I was like, "Oh, this, this, this is something I absolutely understand. I I, I know this music because I spent ten thousand hours listening to these records on my own in, in, in my mum's house, putting on my mum's makeup in the mirror um, to try and look like David Bowie. You know, like uh, I used to do that all the time. Weird, all that stuff you do when you're a kid, and now I do literally do that for a living. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, uh, and, and my mum was sure I was uh, I was gay, and she was only half half right there uh but um it, it's uh it's just funny all that stuff so the makeup and all the, the drama and, and the um and the um the playing with gender and um uh, all of that stuff was stuff that was right up the, the front of my mind i knew it so well and i bought it and i loved it i thought it was absolutely amazing um what a, an incredible um album uh, I, I had the, the version with the, the blue cover uh the, 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 the you know the um 
the jewel case, the blue cover, yeah. and you could run you could run the um, the album art underneath, and secret messages would come up because it was blue and it pop out. And it was just the attention to detail to what he did and how manicured the whole thing was, um, and his evolution. Uh, he was doing a Bowie again. He was doing Madonna, you know, one of those shapeshifters. And um, what I always thought was really interesting about Marilyn Manson was that he wasn't a very good singer. He was always been an awful singer. Like, uh, but he's an incredible creative. So I saw, I guess I saw a lot of myself in him as well. Uh, I was like, oh, wow, this guy's just got loads of ideas. Like, he's head and shoulders above and, and, and so far beyond everybody else. He's, yeah, everyone's saying he's Alice Cooper. And he is that to a degree. But it's also incredibly, there's a lot more nuance than Alice Cooper. There's a lot more going on here um, than just great songs and, and, and you know, um, cutting someone's head off on stage. There was a lot of political statements he was making of his music. And, um, and I really responded to that. That was something that really, really spoke to me. And I remember like how much like Coma White reminds you of a David Bowie song and, uh, and uh, you know, Speed of Pain or, 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 or that song. It was so varied and so different. And still a metal record. You metal mates that liked fucking Judas Priest and stuff still kind of kind of got on with Marilyn Manson. He was all right, you know. And, um, yeah, but the indie cool. kids, you know, the indie kids were like, could see the Bowie, could see the, you know, could, could see the art, artistry that, that, that transcended beyond just the, you know, just beyond, you know, the genre of metal as well. I think it, like Marilyn Manson, for me, you know, the, I, I guess he come through maybe just around the, oh, I suppose he come around in the time of new metal, wasn't it? That, 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 that he come to the sort of forefront really with, what was, was Sweet Dreams first? And then. Yes. On, uh, on uh, Smells Like, Smells Like Children? On, on yeah. a, um, Portrait of an American Family. Which yeah. Is, I can't really recall. And, and and I remember like I, I, I DJ in, uh, and, and have always DJed in, in alternative venues and and the impact that that had and I remember sort of you know you, you can fast track it when it's a cover so instantly people know Sweet Dreams anyway um, but then when he dropped Beautiful People it was like fuck me what Out, is outrageous this? like outrageous and, song and just that the you know I can hear Nine Inch Nails in that I can hear so much stuff that. You know, as a forty-seven-year-old man, at so many different bands that I'd grown up listening to, I just thought Marilyn Manson's a fucking clever geezer. He's he's literally just harnessed so much cool stuff and then packaged it with the most exciting-looking persona that, with every album, just evolved and like shape-shifted. And and I, I tell you what, I tell you a little story that at, at the time it was just before my band got signed and we went to see a major label and. And we was doing quite kind of, I guess, post-grunge kind of anthemic kind of alternative rock, I guess, whatever you'd call it. But quite grown-up sounding. This is the era of like Radiohead and things like that. And I remember sitting in the label, uh, the label office. I won't say what label it was, but it was one of the big majors. And and I went, you know, what do you think? He went, well, yeah, we like the songs. But to be honest, like, do you think, and he held up a picture of my band... And he went, do you think people want like rock music with guys that just kind of look like this, which was us just dressed in jeans and tees? Or do you think they're going to be interested in this and held up Kerrang with Marilyn Manson on the cover, who was the next big thing? And I was like, yeah, I get that. Like, oh, wow. Like, Man, no, I mean, it was, all, it was a kick in the dick. But like, all that yeah. ever, like, that, like, I, that's, that, like I, I'd love to hear some more stories from, from the, like, I bet you got some amazing ones from that time. Like, because that era of the music industry, especially the alternative music industry, just fascinates me because I was a kid when that was going on. Um, mm. And that was all the stuff I read and all the stuff I ingested. 
And now seeing it from this side of the fence, years later, it's, it's a different world now to, to how it was back then. And it was but like, every so... now and again, someone from a Kerrang will tell me something and I'll be like, wow, like, so cool. And it, and it was so weird that when you look at the track, you know, how, how that alternative music scene evolved from, you know, Kurt basically and, and Nirvana just going, right, this cock rock thing, that's got to go. And, you know, and then, you know, when Nirvana come along dressed in ripped jeans, you know, lumberjack shirts, uh, no one cared for Guns N' Roses, Skid Row, Motley Crue at yeah. that point. No one cared. It was like, it weren't about image. It was about Kurt and Nirvana and Pearl Jam and these bands that just, it was about the music. And then it's weird how that then started to kind of, when that finished, it went back to people wanting glamour, wanting something really iconic to, to look at. And when you look at Marilyn Manson, he delivered that. You know, he's got every bit of angst and anger that, that Kurt had, that Axel had, and like, but he then just threw in Bowie and Mark Bolan and T and, and uh, Nine Inch Nails, and then you just got this... I'm wittering on now. I'm sorry, Will. I know this is your no, main guest in it. No, but, I literally love but, hearing it. Like, this is the stuff I care about. it's weird how it evolved into that. And, and, I, and I always become... think that. Like, I, I literally was just saying the other day, like in, in some interview, uh, I was saying how I feel like a lot of the time with, with my band on a much smaller scale, that the reason that like I think we got a chance and got given a shot was because at the time, like my cam had broken up. Uh, like that was that was that, that happened quite a while ago. And everyone had gone to, to be in, in kind of quite straight up hardcore bands in, in, our, in our scene. It was a little bit more straight up again. I think that the pendulum just sways constantly back and forth. You know, think about when the, 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 the glam rock stuff was killed off. Then the LA kind of uh, hair metal scene getting killed off. It, it, it kind of ebbs and flows. It flip flops back and forth. This theatrical, the theatricality in this music. Um, but certainly Manson. My God, because he had the perfect face for it as well. Do you know what I mean? Like his yeah. actual face. He had those big lips, and he was like, he would always just looked like he was from another world anyway. And, he, and the transition, I, I bet you remember it really well, um, from Antichrist Superstar to Mechanical Animals, where he went from this being like this, literally looking like the devil. Um, and that's what, how he was perceived in middle America at the time, you know? He was public enemy number one well, to I being mean, an alien. Like to yeah. be, he, he transformed and himself into an alien. <laughs> And, and and what was brilliant was and uh, you know he was the antichrist and and i don't know if you've seen the film bowling for columbine of course yeah yeah and 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 the line he says in that because everybody was blaming shock rocker marilyn manson for, yeah i know for, you know that these lads just who obviously were quite unwell done these horrendous things and just when that news reporter says to manson like what would you have done if you could have spoke to him? And he said, nothing, I would have listened to him. And now you just think, fuck, man, that's a great I know. answer, man. I think that, that's like, like one of my favourite uh, things, like, especially this, this is the problem. Like, so I, I'm such a big fan of Manson, especially around those three records, ho- going to Hollywood. And there's a handful of, of uh, amazing news footage from that time when he was, uh, also when he, he appeared on Jerry Springer and, oh, was it Jerry Springer? One of those American yeah. talk shows. And um, he just outwits everybody. He was so yeah. much more intelligent than everyone who was trying to critique him. And he, again, always two steps ahead of everybody. Like, like to be able to, like, like that, that, that one line in that film, like, for me, that's one of my favourite parts of that whole, that whole film. I think it's such yeah. an important thing. He was so much more in tune with the youth than yeah. the people who were trying to, trying to tear him down for the older generation. Yeah. Um, but now, I don't know whether he's going kind to... Of, um, he's entered that older generation now. And there's a new... Uh, you, know, you know, like, it, it's, it's a a different 
that's it kind of kind of happens, doesn't it? So, uh, what records do you make when you're no longer part of, of, of the of youth culture anymore? You know, but you become like, Bowie, you become Bowie, and you just yeah, constantly evolve. You constantly evolve. And then... I think so. That's what you should do too. But maybe he's like, like I don't know. What, what are you felt of, of his late, recent, uh, recent efforts? It's not. It's not really something I get overly excited about. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm more interested in him as a person than his music nowadays. You know, if there's ever an interview with him, I'm. I'm, I'm on board. I'm interested, um, but musically, it doesn't it doesn't scream at me anymore. You know? I speak to, to to Dan Carter quite a lot about you know he's, he's a very good friend of mine. Yeah. Oh, I love him. Um, and uh, we we call each other and talk about chaos magic all the time. Recently, I'm trying to do a Radio One thing the other day. Is end up talking about magic on air. He lives about like, ten, oh, ten minutes down the road. I know, I know, and I try to stop myself. But um, yeah, he, uh, he he's brilliant, Dan, and. Um, he knows Manson really well. Um, they text each other. And I keep thinking to myself, every time he says that to me, imagine getting a text from Marilyn Manson. <laughs> like, how, how insane is that? You know, It's like mm. when Mickey Gervais made friends with David Bowie and they mm. would just hang out after he, he, he'd, he'd done a, a David Bowie pastiche in, in another life, you know? Yeah. And now they were just friends. Um, love it. It's like, that's, that's absolutely bizarre, isn't it? Track five, Will. The song that soundtracked your years clubbing. Oh, this one is against me. Pints of Guinness make you strong. Um, so this is another side. I don't. I don't speak about how important against me were half half as much as I should do. Against me, I was like a militant DIY punk kid when I was uh, when I was younger. Um, I was like, you know, it's, it's so funny. I've ended up on a major label. <laughs> I've really sold out. But um, it, like when I was a kid, I was like really, really. Um, Really into kind of anarcho punk and, and 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 those scenes. Like uh, Southampton was like a, like amazing amazing place for that. There was so many cool bands, so many house shows going on all the time. I was a big part of that scene, and the, the, the way I found myself there was through against me. Um, I can't remember exactly how I found them. I think I may have seen like an older band. Um, there's always like this kind of when you get into music, there's always the older kids playing in, in, in local bands. You look up to them, you know. Um, I had loads of them down here. Jets versus Sharks were, were mine. Um, they were this amazing band from Portsmouth. Sounded like grade, uh, you know, like uh, that sort of era of music. Really cool, like a, a hardcore band, but with that kind of, um, I don't know, like uh, kind of like some of that Jade Tree stuff in there. Um, mm. uh, it was really, really cool. Um, and I, I must have saw, I think I saw the drummer wearing an Against Me shirt, and I was like, I need to check this band out. And we said, that's how we used to find bands on T-shirts on yeah, the back of totally. CDs. Who, they, who, who are they thanking in their album? You know, like and, and yep. going by the records like that. And I remember me and my girlfriend at the time, Kay, went to FM Music in the in the Bargate Centre here. That's, that's none of this is here anymore. They've actually bulldozed that to the ground. Um, but like, uh, we went in there, independent records, and we and we bought one album each. And she got as the Eternal Cowboy, and I got Reinventing Out Rose. And it has changed everything. It changed like, the politics on it, the way they spoke about reinventing Axl Rose as an album is about reinventing the conventional rock star. Um, and a lot of that, uh, the, the ethics talking about touring in the DIY scene just made you want to be in a DIY punk band. And, and, and uh, Pints of Guinness starts with this amazing uh, kind of snare roll going into it. And it's got this chorus, the, the gang vocals on that. Gang vocals have always been like, such a part of some of my favorite punk records ever just like a, a choir because that's what a show is you know it's just people jumping on each other and singing and um and the, the, the chorus for that you know just like james i'll be drinking irish tonight um like that when that first comes in it's just so anthemic i was obsessed and i still am like laura jane grace is uh 
such an inspiration to me um and has been for years and years and years she actually shouted my band out last year when we were in, the, we were in a social media blackout for one of these stunts we were doing and so i couldn't respond to it but i was freaked out absolutely um such a massive fan and it reminds me there used to be a nightclub down here i don't know if you ever came to to, to unit but it was before it was just after nexus closed down down here um i don't know if you ever dj'd there but it was a free, free floor club um, of alternative music, which obviously would never work now. Um, but like it did at the time, I don't know why. Yeah. And um, Ricky used to, um, he, he does the joiners now, one of my best friends, he used to run the middle bar. And I used to go there and get absolutely out of my mind. And it was so much fun because he was in control of the music on that floor as well. Yeah. And we would, we would put on that and all of me and my friends would just sing along to that. I would reach over his bar and, and, and pour myself a glass of wine. And he goes, stop doing that. Stop doing <laughs> And there was just all of those nights out where you're just getting really crazy. And, um, you know, the joiners owned this, this, this nightclub and the joiners um, arms down here is our grassroots music venue. Um, something I'm incredibly proud of and, and played a really prominent part of, of, of my life. Um, my, then my family, you know, um, all, the, all the people who own it and uh, love them. Uh, so like, oh, I have so many amazing memories of being in their establishments, dancing to against me, singing along, uh, and and it's getting really really drunk. It's drinking music, and and that's that's what that this is. And it's it's, it's kind of fuck the system, proper like proper punk rock. It's recorded the way the way it sounds. It couldn't be produced better, even though it's not got that major label sheen that they would go on with when, when they signed Desire. Um, it's just amazing. It's, it's just is what it is. It sounds like what you're at when you're at one of those shows. I remember going to uh, I think it's the Mean Fiddler. They shot even Mean Fiddler. It was the Mean Fiddler. Not he's not there anymore either. Rest in peace, the Mean Fiddler and Astoria. Um, to see against me uh, record their a, a live um, a live album, uh, and uh, it was one of the first times I saw them. I, I, I've seen them so many times over the years, but they were absolutely a magic. It was just crazy. The whole room felt like it was unified. You know, you know when you can hear everyone around you singing, and it's like, oh my god, this is like. The, this is what punk rock is to me. It's all these people with the same values and ideas and, and ethics, I mean, music about questioning the world around you, about, uh, you know, um, animal liberation, um, talking about, um, like, it, was, it, it taught me so much, like being kind of just uh, like, like a, a guy from an all-white school, like it's challenging you as well. Like, the, like, that's what punk rock always was to me. It was about questioning the way I was and the way I looked at the world and, um, like racism, it, like yeah, we're talking loads about that at the moment, obviously with everything that's going on. But you know, the punk scene was discussing these things and and, and uh, making people challenge themselves and challenge everything around them. For, with uh, in my life for years and years and years, and it's I think against me a, a band that for getting me into the, into that scene in the first place, it, that scene would change my whole life, my whole outlook and everything. And uh, a lot of that was um, also in the evenings, just a drunken mess singing along to these songs. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's stay in um, the, the, the home county because that's um, track six, a favourite song from an artist from your home county. So I've chosen a weird one for this one. Um, so me and Ian... This is the one uh, I didn't know. Yeah, you won't know this one because it's, 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 from, a, it's from a local band down here. Um, so me and Ian used to play uh, in two separate bands. Our first tour, Ian plays in Creeper, obviously, uh, like he's a, the guitar player in my band. Uh, but we toured together our entire lives. We built our entire life together, our, our careers all together but it was never always like this he used to play in a band called take them out which is the funniest name in the world it's a terrible terrible name um take them out it's back at the time that everyone was really into youth crew hardcore and they sounded like champion and a lot of those kind of bridge nine bands um but our first tour together 
um, wasn't we weren't playing in the same band. It take him out toured, and so did my band, Art I'm Down Here. But this is back in 2009, I want to say, a long time ago. Um, and we didn't know anything about tour. We just put loads of gigs and, and, and went out and, and did them. Um, but like, we got there was nine of us, and we had two six seater vans um, because that's what we could get. So we put the, all, the, all the gear in the back of one of them, and the rest of us just laid down in the back of the van. The other van <laughs> just drove around the country playing all these gigs. Um, and they had this song called uh, We'll See It Through. Oh, I've lost you. There we're back. No. Um, uh, 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 we'll See It Through. And it was uh, this ridiculous, kind of like a, it was just like an Americana-style hardcore song. But everyone in our city knew that song. So when they play, everyone would dance, everyone would kind of pile on and get the mic. And it was like, this song every single time uh, they play and we're waiting for for we'll see it through and it had this kind of um this kind of gang shout at the end we'll see it through till the end it was like really shouty and really aggressive and really really fun everyone would jump and pile on at their last show which i put on um at the king alf a football pub uh, by st mary's down here um ian broke the headstock of his guitar because everyone jumped on him and it fell down he broke the entire headstock off so they couldn't even play the end of the song which is like the whole reason they were known but i have such fond memories of that song and growing up playing with ian it's it kind of how we met it's how our whole scene kind of came together down here for, for our little generation of, of hardcore punk and um and it was just amazing it's it's like a, a really silly song uh, it's really it's really really fast it's very very much of that time period it's uh, very much of american hardcore um, rather than anything british uh, but like personally like on a personal level it, it holds a lot of weight with me and um and it's just a really really fun thing to remember all those nights going to gigs i used to put on like hardcore bands from all around the world so i used to put on like a bands from europe and i put on like a malaysian hardcore a straight edge band called um second combat and take them out would always be the support band and they would all play always play this song and the whole room would just go crazy for this one song every single time so i've chosen that one because i felt like that was a really apt one also i'm going to score points of ian for mentioning his old band so um wonderful (laughs) that's great all right well for the last track well you get to play dj and um and recommend a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear I chose a few here, but I got in my notes, I'm just going to read the ones that I chose. Uh, can I choose a few? Oh, no. I, I'm actually happy with my choice for this one. Um, I chose uh, a song um, by a band that's actually got quite a, more, a lot more recognition now in, in, like, over the recent, recent years. But uh, um, by a band called Cold Cave. The song's called Glory. And uh, so Cold Cave is, um, is the side project of um, Wes Isolt, who is um, the singer in American Nightmare. Uh, and, and give up the ghost later on. Um, he's just one of my favourite lyricists. I just think he's an, an incredibly creative guy. He inspires me uh, an awful amount. Um, and he went on to do this kind of. He was really into Sisters of Mercy and a lot of that, um, uh, a lot, a lot of kind of electronic music. And uh, he was born with with one hand, and um, so he couldn't play guitar. So he learned to play keyboards. Um, and uh, he, I think he's for me, he's just the king. Like he's just the, the king of this stuff. He's nailed the aesthetic down and the branding of what, what he does is next level. He's so, he's very well read. Um, he owns the Heartworm Press where he presses poetry books. And um, so he's, he's just a really, really wonderful writer, which I think he always was in American Nightmare too. But especially on this song, um, it's uh, it's just a beautiful song. Some of it reminds me of like kind of like a, a hero's David Bowie vibe. There's the, um, I, the lyric, I can, I can be you. Uh, and you can be me too, uh, or whatever, you know, I could be you, 
and you could be me too. I just, I just love it. It makes me think of my girlfriend, and it makes me really. It's a love song, and every time I hear that first beat coming, uh, I just want to dance. And I love this sort of music. I got really into like kind of dark wave and a lot of uh, that sort of stuff. Comes along with um, when you grow up listening to Marilyn Manson and AFI. You know, this is where we all wash up, and <laughs> in the dark wave world, when you get older, um, and uh, Wes is like the. The, undoubtedly the king of um of that you know uh he's a guy that kind of he's he, cold cave to me is so prolific that it almost um overshadows the other stuff he's done which is already amazing i love it. american nightmare is my favorite hardcore band uh it's a uh, just a, a beautiful song he sings in that lovely baritone um there's like uh there's some records that record cherish the light years which is like a full length of this stuff and it's a lot more kind of poppy than some of this other stuff but i love that too it's just amazing the lyric uh there's a really great lyric um it's important um it's important even evil people look so look so good on the outside and, and there's like this really clever wordplay I've always wanted to write like that. And it's actually, I, have to, I, always, I have to be careful I don't too much because he sued Fallout Boy for um, stealing his lyrics, did you remember? Oh, really? Um, yeah, so under the cork tree. So Wes is just this amazing lyricist. Like, it is amazing. When you read it, like, I've got a load of his poetry books. I'm, I'm, they're like some of my favorite things that I have. Um, and Deathbeds is, um, is the, the main ones, that, like kind of the anthology of a lot of the, his, his work from when he was in Some Girls and a lot of his writings. And um, he... Um, like under, under the cork tree, Fallout Boy, Fallout Boy have some cool lyrics, but I think they they have a lot of their um the writing style to it to as I sold um so much so that uh, he got a load of money um from uh from 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 because they literally lifted verses from his songs and but they were all friends they they all grew up in the same scenes and things as well mm. but I think it got to a point where like he had to be um made a, like a, like a, a co-writer on the songs and. I think he's made some some good money off of that, which I'm really really pleased that he's managed to do because um, I, I, I'm hoping that it assists with his more 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 creation from him. And I just I would just digest and buy anything he makes really because it's, it's it's funny you get to a certain point in your life, don't you, where certain people there's such a high quality of what they do that like you know it's going to be good, even if it's not like your favorite thing they've done. It's going to be better than what other people are doing, and so you just buy it anyway. <laughs> you know, like that. That's just kind of the way I am with it. Uh, it is, uh, he's just an amazing, amazing lyricist, an amazing songwriter. And, um, and I love this particular song. It's a single, and I, um, I just really, really rate it. Like, uh, I, I grew up with the Sister Mercy stuff as well. I, I grew up with a lot of uh, like New Order and stuff like that, and a lot of the, re- the reference points he has really speak to me from, as I said earlier on, like going to records at my mum's house and finding all this music and this amazing stuff. And, uh, and this is like, again, it's like, it's something happening now that I can go and watch. Uh, like, you know, it's, it's a, it's not um, a prestige or like a kind of, he's not doing, it's not like a homage that's taken too far. He's done his own thing with it. And I don't know how he's managed to, because it's hard to these days. Uh, but yeah, just brilliant. I can't talk, talk him up enough. I think he's, I think he's a little genius and um, I'm, I just really rate him. <laughs> well, we, uh, we, we put a Spotify playlist together to accompany this podcast. So, um, people will be able to go and listen to it, uh, on, on oh, there as well, um, alongside all the other tracks that, um, we, we've spoke about on this podcast. So as we start to sort of find ourselves easing our way out of lockdown and, uh, and hopefully to a safe and brighter future, um, what's coming up? Well, we were about to release um, our record, um, uh, like our, our second record, and it's the, the it's the first release we've had since 2017. Um, so it's quite a while while ago we released anything. Uh, 
So I'm very excited about it. I, always, I feel like this record's been cursed. I've been saying this a lot recently. There's like, you know, The Exorcist was a cursed film. Yeah. And uh, I feel like this album's <laughs> like, like, oh my God, like, I'm, I'm worried about people owning it. I'm hoping the curse is lifted when we get to the, uh, when it gets the release date. That's what I've been saying in my head. Um, like, it's either that or that, like, you know, it's a Ghostbusters scenario and it all goes wrong and, and, and it all goes everywhere. You know, we're all, we're all infected, um, you know. Uh, but uh, we've, we've been through the ringer with this one. Um, you know, like, we really have. We've, uh, like, uh, it's been so many panic attacks and late nights and um, kind of fights and, 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 and uh, my mum's partner passed away. It's been a lot of death and tragedy in this. And Ian, Ian got very, very unwell while we were making it. Um, so he he was sectioned uh, in the put in the priory down here, um, and so there's a lot been a lot of very real world trauma. But even like in a, in a more like ridiculous sense, the cello player that came into his strings broke his leg on the way into the studio one day. Uh, the Graham Humphreys, the man who um, does all the amazing poster art, if you've ever seen our tour posters, uh, he did all the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street stuff. Um, he fell down an escalator and broke, broke his leg. The the um, the, pa- the plant that pressed the records in California. Our record went through, and there was a fire, and it burnt down. Like honestly, I know. We'll wrap this podcast up together. right now because. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't stress to you. Like we we say, we talk about the creeper curse in this one. It's um, it's really been a journey, uh, and since um, when we we put our last one to this to this place, I know we actually spoke about earlier on. Bands are throwing out material now, left, right, and center, and this is an unusually long gap um, for a, a band's follow up. In, in this climate, anyway. Um, but it's an unusual record. It's weird. It's, it's weird as shit. It's a weird record. Um, and I love it. I'm really, really proud of it. It's um, uh, Patricia from Sisters of Mercy. Sing, uh, does spoken word on it. We, uh, we managed to get like friends of ours involved and to, to, do, to do things. And, wow. Um, I know, man. It's so cool. Uh, I, I met Patricia. She, she's obviously um, Dave Vanian's uh, uh, partner. And I love The Damned. One of my favorite bands of all time. Went to see The Damned so many times. I met them both at, a, um, at the Karanga Woods again. Like a, uh, it was, it was a, a, the, the, the year after my, my, my ridiculous Skiba story. Um, uh, I met them both there. And turns out they've been taking their daughter, Emily, to see Creeper because she's a Creeper fan. And so I was like, oh, no way. I'm, I literally love, like, Fudland is one of my favorite records, you know? Um, and, like, Machine Gun Etiquette, that was, like, the soundtrack to was when I was younger too, you know? Like, I was like, God, this is amazing. So we made, just became friends. And they would, they would come to... So creeper things, um, and we, we, you know, obviously, like, we would never make them pay to see us ever. They're like royalty to me, and um, uh, goth, goth royalty. And um, so, yeah, really, really cool. They, 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 um, they invited me and my girlfriend to the um, the damn show with the Circus of Horrors, at the Palladium, um, and they, like we had like first he in the looks front. So good, Davonian. Oh God, it was so sick. It was so cool. And then we went to the after show. Imagine this, okay? Like me and my girlfriend are both really bad goths, you know. We're, we're so goth, we're so into that scene. So like, this is like a dream come true for us. We had the Circus of Horrors, and then it was um, there was the Damned, where he shaved his hair off at the intermission and became Nosferatu, came back out dressed up as Nosferatu midway through the performance. I was like, amazing! And my girlfriend loves him as well. And and so it was, they invited us to the after show. We entered this after party down in um, uh, in, I think it was in Soho somewhere. And um, I was like, well, you have to go. You know, we have to go. And we went in. They gave us a glass of wine, and we went and found a table while a man played Aladdin Sane on the piano. A pianist just sat there and played the entirety of Aladdin Sane. Well, and then Dave Vanian came over, and we hung out with Emily. And I was like, this is the coolest thing in the world. You guys are so, <laughs> why are you being so nice to us? We're just like this, these little weird punk kids, you know? Like, so they're yeah, lovely, lovely, lovely people. 
And I wanted an American voice uh, to play this, the character in my American record. So I asked Patricia if she would do it. And, um, and she was so lovely and said, oh, yeah, of course, I'll come by. Came by the studio in, in London. We were doing some bits and just was amazing. Just amazing. It was like a dream come true. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a spectacularly weird record we've made. It's very varied, very odd. The middle section has a country song. There's a, a do-what number. There's a, um, there's a, it ends with a piano ballad. And uh, there's a, a song that sounds like Swade in the middle of all that nonsense. It's just, it's just going on and on and on. Uh, and uh, it's, yeah, I'm very proud of it. It's a very odd record. And, um, yeah, we really tried to go all in on it. And it's finally coming out on July 31st. Um, so Wonderful. Well, I'll the curse will be lifted. Well, this podcast... Um, when it comes out, the album will be out. So we'll add a, um, some tracks onto the playlist as well so people can get a real flavour that, that may not have um, heard Creeping Music before. And, uh, and yeah, and where's a good place for people to find out about what Creeper are up to? So you can find out all the, all the usual places. You can find us on, um, on Twitter, Creeper Cult UK, on Instagram. It's all the same tag on Facebook. We have a website as well, which um, which has recently re- recently been kind of redone, which is a lot better than when we made it originally. Um, it is uh, creepercult.com.com. Oh my god, not creepercult.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh mate, that's what you so should have called it. That <laughs> <laughs> we are a completely different type of creeper there. You know how many times Brilliant. we are tagged in weird things uh, in the course of this band on the internet? Pervy pervy dudes looking up a woman's skirt, tagging creeper cult on on on, on Twitter or just on Facebook getting tagged in loads of photos where like someone's taking a family photo and someone's photobombed it at the back and they've tagged him that guy as a creeper but they've tagged the band creeper as well so you get tagged in all these really funny pictures all the time or really horrendous kind of like gross things I dangerous when you have a really name really like bad or incredibly brilliant marketing I mean, uh, I wouldn't. I don't really want to be known as the band that's associated <laughs> with these things. To be honest with you, um, but that is the risk we we we, we ran when we um, named the band Creeper. You know, a word that with my lisp I constantly call Creeper. So um, you know, it's a- There's nothing wrong with having a lisp, mate. I've been podcasting for a few years with one. It's fine. <laughs> uh, Will, thank you so much for your time today, mate. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, no, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed chatting to you about, about all of this nonsense, you know. Um, it's been good hearing your side of, the, of the, uh, the Marilyn Manson stuff as well. What a cool story. That's mad. And best of luck with the album, buddy. Thank you so much. Um, are, are we going for real now on, on, the, on the chat as well? <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to press stop on here and then I'll say thank you to you afterwards. It's always weird. No one ever knows what to do here because I've done a few where I've gone, oh, thank you very much for being on. And then I've pressed stop and then they've gone, okay, thanks. And then they've just hung up the Zoom recording. I was like, oh, I was actually going to say thank you separately from that. So we'll do that. So I'm going to press stop on here. There you go. Oh, that was a wonderful chat. And, uh, and as we finished that uh, that podcast with that awkward moment that we uh, that we discussed, we carried on chatting um, afterwards. And uh, and yeah, what an, what what a top lad! Um, go and check out the album. Obviously, go and check out the uh, playlist on Spotify as well. Um, huge thanks to uh, Tom Dark as well for uh, facilitating this podcast. Um, and thanks once again to Will for giving up his time. And most of all, thank you to you, lovely lot, for listening. Um, as mentioned at the beginning, why not go and have a look in the archives and see if there's another episode that tickles your fancy best still just subscribe that's what we want subscribe to the podcast um leave a little review you know let us know what you thought um all these things really help to support this podcast so um yeah if you can that'd be lovely i'm back next week i'll see you soon bye-bye oh yeah sorry
I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a lot of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Give me stew with him. 